Welcome to the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about the life, theology, and practice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle, and today I am joined by Laura Fabricki. Laura is the volunteer guide of the Bonhoeffer House in Berlin, Germany, and she's writing a memoir entitled The Keys to Bonhoeffer's House that is slated for release next spring from Fortress Press. Laura, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Corey. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad to. Um, I've been been looking forward to this for a while. You know, going to going to the Bonhoeffer House is kind of on the bucket list. So to be able to kind of connect with someone over there and and uh, kind of hear your story as well, it's just been uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to this one. Terrific. Awesome. Well, how we usually do this is sort of uh, get to know you first, and then maybe we can jump into kind of your story, your your memoir that you're writing, anything else that you want to include sure. about the, the Bonhoeffer House. So we'll start there. Um, how did you become interested in Bonhoeffer? Well, I think like many people, I was you know raised in the church. I'm quite confident that my parents had copies of Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship and Life Together on their bookshelves. I don't think I ever heard him referred to in a sermon, um, but I was sort of just vaguely familiar with him. It was when I was in college um, that I learned a little, I went to attended Wheaton College and I had a lot of professors who referred to Dietrich Bonhoeffer definitely in um, uh, with a lot of regard. And and then there was one of a fellow student of mine, I studied political philosophy there and a fellow student um, who we shared a lot of classes together. Um, and he was, he started researching Bonhoeffer for a thesis, for a sort of a senior thesis project. And I write about him just briefly in my memoir, but I, he, he and I were kind of working on two different projects and, um, but Bonhoeffer was really kind of turning his life upside down. Um, and that was sort of the first, the first time that I realized that there was something about Bonhoeffer's story that was pretty unique, but it wasn't, I didn't kind of get the bug, if that makes sense. Like I, I was kind of watching this friend really deeply engaged with Dietrich's thought. Um, of course, so we, part of my interest in learning about Bonhoeffer though started when we learned that our family would be moving to Berlin. And that was in, um, I guess it was the fall of 2015. Um, might've even been a little bit before that. And um, so my husband is a U.S. Foreign Service officer, and it was just his next assignment. So we've actually done several tours in the Middle East, and this was, we had been posted in Washington, so he was working at the Maine State Department, and um, and then he got his next assignment, which was to Berlin, and so he knew he would be studying German, and I was, you know, I was doing some writing and editing, and you know, re I'm constantly trying to read about wherever we're living. And I thought, oh, I, I should probably read about Bonhoeffer. So I read <clears throat> um, what is a very popular biography. It was in my local public library. And um, yeah, and I was quite, I was interested in it. And I was interested in it in part because we were moving to Berlin. So, um, and then we finally did arrive here in July of 2016, and we're actually just about to depart. Um, we are headed to on our next assignment. <laughs> so um, in just a few weeks, we'll be packing up here. And um, and I will say that I Bonhoeffer's life became, to me, um, much 
much less abstracted. It became this like a really concrete human living thin thing when we actually arrived here and started setting up our life here. Um, and it, oddly enough, like when we first got here, our house that we're living in right now wasn't ready yet. Like they were still cleaning it from the previous occupants. And um, so we were in a kind of temporary quarters for a time close to the embassy, not far from the American embassy. And um, on a number of occasions, we kept, I felt like we kept bumping into things that was, that reminded me of Bonhoeffer. He wasn't really on my, he wasn't cent central on my radar at all. And um, so I, I, in, on a walk in the neighborhood, I stumbled on, on a Bonhoeffer veg or like a Bonhoeffer way street. And I assumed it was for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And my husband went on a run and he happened upon the Zionskirche or the, the Zion church where Bonhoeffer had actually taught a, um, a confirmation class. And, um, and there's a very moving statue memorial that's there for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And um, we, yeah, so we kept kind of finding evidence of him, even though we weren't really looking for him. And I would say that it was um, in the fall of 2016, obviously, um, you know, America was in the midst of a very obviously heated election season. And I think the thing that kind of drove me to try to find more about Bonhoeffer was um, just a sense of grief as we were watching from our perch here as Americans, living as representative Americans, um, and particularly grieved at the way um, civic discourse was happening, like out, even outside of the, nat the national conversation that happens, you know, over the airways, it was grievous to me to watch, and I, as I think a lot of us did, to watch the kind of devolution of of conversation on in our social media platforms, and even among people that we know, and that happening there. And I think the thing that really I felt quite compelled to get to um, to visit the Bonhoeffer House because that's really how I first got there was as a visitor, and I scheduled a visit for our whole family to go, and we did, and that was um, in November of 2016. And I wanted to learn more about. Um, how to live faithfully in times of um, turmoil, civic turmoil, and even you know political turmoil. And um, so, in some ways, I kind of naively came hoping that I would find like answers to my problems at the Bonhoeffer House. <laughs> and um, we and I came back many more times with visitors and. Um, and then finally, about nine months later, I had come so many times. I had scheduled so many tours for people that the director was like, oh, Frau Fabriki, here you are again, <laughs> visiting the Bonhoeffer House. And, and, and someone said, oh, you come here so often that you should be a volunteer. And I was like, do you think I could? And they said, yes, that would be great. And um, so I became, a, they invited me to to join, I kind of invited myself and they agreed, I should say it that way. And, um, and they welcomed me, which was amazing because, um, yeah, I, I, I write about this a lot and I can stop press pause on how long I'm talking, but, um, yeah, it was, it was such a warm, hospitable gesture because I'm an American. I didn't know Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story very well and I wanted to know it better. I was very eager to kind of get this man's um, story into my life and to, and to think with him and to think better about my life and to have 
conversation about him um, with others. And so it was really just a gift to be able to be a volunteer there. That's great. Can you give me kind of the context of the Bonhoeffer house? At what stage in Dietrich's life? Is he living in Berlin? That sort of thing? Happily. So this house <clears throat> was built by his parents in 1935. And Dietrich was beginning his, um, his time with the illegal seminary in, it started on the Baltic coast in Zingst and then it moved to Finkenwalde, which is now in Poland. Um, and so this was the house, it was this house and then the one that's immediately next door, he, his parents built when his father retired from full-time work. One thing that's quite interesting is that his, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think in some ways has eclipsed his father by global recognition, but his dad was, Dr. Karl Bonhoeffer was um, a very widely regarded and well-known um, public intellectual. He was a, um, the director of psychology and neurology at the Charité Hospital, which is like the main teaching hospital here in Berlin, affiliated with the university, the University of Berlin at the time. Um, and I think it's even been classified as like one of the top five hospitals in the world. So he was a very, had a very prominent position there, so prominent that he actually was asked to evaluate the young Dutch communist that was accused of um, setting fire to the Reichstag, oh, wow. um, which was the, you know, the pretext for, um, for the Hitler um, declaring emergencies and revoking certain civil rights. Um, so, and he actually evaluated the mental um, um, capacity of this prisoner and, and deemed him fit to stand trial. And then he was actually executed. Um, and so that when his father then stepped away from his sort of full-time work at this, in his position at the hospital, they built this house and then the one that's next door to it sort of as a place for the family to gather. Um, so it's not the house that Dietrich was raised in but um, that house is not too far away. It's in a pretty, pretty, you know, it's not in the same neighborhood exactly, but it's not too far away. Um, and, but it was Dietrich's sort of adult Berlin residence during his very itinerant adulthood, but it was really the place that he came home to. And he had a room that was devoted to him. Um, and yeah, which has been sort of recreated into, um, into the place that we visit during during a visit. Hmm. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to ask you. Is like, okay, so it's been you know 80, 90 years. How? Uh, what is it like in there? Um, like, what is it? What is a tour like? Is it just like here's the Bonhoeffer House, have a look around, or do you kind of walk through the story? What, what does that look like? Yeah, I think actually the the. A typical tour would just, um, typically it's just private people who will email the Bonhoeffer house and ask if they can visit. It is a residence still, um, and it's uh, it's owned by the church, by the by the Lutheran church here, the state church, um, and the, the director um, actually lives in that house. So we don't go everywhere. And it's also not intended to be a museum. It is actually set up to be a place that people can, um, give honor to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but then also learn about him in such a way that they'll engage with him personally, like think about their own lives and reflect. Um, so a typical tour would be, we start in a 
conference room that's been set up. So two of the rooms that were part of the original plan of the house, the footprint of the house, were collapsed into one, removing one of the walls. And there's a large conference table in there. And then there's a there are panels of photos, almost like scrapbook pages that have been blown up of family photos or photos from that era. And all of these panels try to depict different themes about um, Dietrich's life. So a lot of family shots, but then also pictures of like the very first panel has a map of Berlin in 1935 and just setting the scene, showing you prominent places, like significant places around the city. So the Zionskirche is identified there. You'll see um, Pastor Martin Niemöller's church, which is the Dahlem Church, St. Anne's um, in Berlin Dahlem is identified there. Tegel um, military prison where he was held. You'd see it a bunch of these different places. And then pictures of Dietrich like all throughout his life and, um, and other key people that were part of his life and the confessing church, which is the church that, um, the portion of the church that stood against um, the German Christians, um, those who identified who were um, affiliated with or sympathetic to Nazi ideas. Um, and so a typical tour is, especially for people that don't know him, there were during in 2017, there were a lot of um, reformation tours. This is when I was sort of getting started as a guide. And a lot of people were coming through to see Wittenberg and to see, you know, to learn about Martin Luther. And, um, and then a lot of the tour agencies were throwing on a Bonhoeffer house tour in the mix of it. <laughs> so, um, uh, but usually that's, it, it usually aren't, they're usually not big groups. It's usually people that are making kind of a pilgrimage for themselves or a church group. And so we talk about Bonhoeffer's life. I give an overview of it, um, which is not easy to do in his 39 years of life. He lived a lot of life and, um, and then when the tour is done, we try to have a dialogue there if we can, if it's not too big of a group. And then when that tour, when the tour is done, where we have that conversation, we then climb the stairs up to his bedroom and, um, and we can talk there too, but I often try to just let people have a, a time to just take it in and see and ask questions. And um, yeah, so it's, we we don't usually let people poke around the house for that reason because yeah. it is still used as a residence, but um, it is very stirring to walk into his bedroom. Oh, I bet. I can imagine. <laughs> like I said, it's kind of on the bucket list. So hopefully. Rightfully I'll, so. Yeah. Hopefully I'll make right. my way over there eventually. Um, yeah. That's really great. Um, yeah. Thank you for, yeah. You posted recently on Twitter. I saw that you were about to, there were some children in the room. You had to walk them through some hard things, some hard truths. Yes. Um, and I was wondering, yeah, that, that was one of the things that came up. I was thinking, what, what did she say to them? Like, how, how do you communicate that to children who come through? It's a good question. It's and it. And I visited the Bonhoeffer house with my children who at the time were 10, eight and two. Um, and I had actually asked, is it okay if we bring kids and the director um, who's a really wonderful and warm man um, said, you know, children are always welcome at the Bonhoeffer house. And I think that that's actually true for the tenor of Dietrich's growing up life was that mm -hmm. children were welcome. He was born into a very large family and his mom especially loved having lots of people around and she threw a lot of parties and um, really cared about kids and um, 
Dietrich himself would, you know, he would say that like the best theology that's done, it should be able to be articulated to children. Um, and so it's, it is difficult to talk about the Nazis. It's difficult to talk about what happened. And what you also get a sense of is how much in Dietrich's own life as a child, how many difficulties he faced. One of his brothers was um, killed in the First World War when he was young, um, mm. would have been in 1918. And, um, and Dietrich, that hit him hard. It also hit his mom hard. Um, so it's a place that is, even though that event didn't happen in this particular home, it happened in his family life. And um, I think it is always important for us to remember that we are having difficult civic and political conversations always within earshot of our children. And um, and so to, to be able to talk about it is actually really important. To do it obviously in a way that doesn't scare children, but to tell them like, no, there are, there are times that require us to, to have courage to do the right thing. Um, and it's not always easy and it's sometimes quite scary. And people have to, you know, in some ways you feel like you're fighting monsters sometimes. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think kids get it. Um, I think kids get it a lot. So I have had a couple of times when there have been children on tours and of course they're, they're horrified to learn at the end that Dietrich is put to death by the Nazis. Um, and, but it's, it's so important for them to hear his story. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Let's jump into your, um, your, your memoir. Um, yeah. You've been here for, I've uh, been over there for a couple of years now, about to head back and, and you're writing this memoir about your time at the Bonhoeffer house. And so how, how has that shaped you? And how, well, what can we learn yeah. from that? <laughs> I yeah, guess. no, absolutely. I, I mean, I wrote this book in part um, as just a way for me to remember the experience and to remember what I've learned. And mm -hmm. I had a lot of people say, oh, I'm probably not going to get to visit you there and to see this place. So um, people were quite enthusiastic when I said I was going to write about it. And I really wanted to capture especially what I learned as an American and what I learned from my German counterparts. Because mm -hmm. I think that that's probably the biggest thing for me was living here and interacting all the time with Germans just in my day-to-day -day life. Um, I really did get a sense of how easy it is to interpret Dietrich th with an American lens. And I'm not claiming to have bridged the, the divide. It's more like I, I can see how, how we tend to narrate him in certain ways that I've been able to see better who he was here from, especially learning from my German counterparts. Mm. Um, and obviously I have had to, everything that I've learned, I've had to do in English, reading English language biographies. I am not fluent in German. My Deutsch is schlecht and, um, <laughs> and tends to be more related to like grocery store items than to <laughs> like theology or biography. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I wanted to write to kind of remember remember these precious years and to remember what I learned there. And and also to highlight the Bonhoeffer House. I think the thing that for me that um, I wanted to do was to use the house as a lens. I wanted to think about Bonhoeffer as a, as a human being, as a man who lived in a house. 
And a house is sort of the place where families come together, where there's relationship. Um, it's also the place where private and public meet and where the where private life actually bears on public life and where public life bears on private life. And those two kind of interact. Um, and so in some ways, because I, in my heart of hearts, I love political theory and political philosophy. It's my attempt to do um, a very, very gentle dose of political theory um, for within the context of a of a life. And one of those lies in my memoir is Dietrich's, and the other is mine, um, because I'm constantly conversing between what I learned about him and imagining him in this particular place as I am also living in this particular place and thinking about who I am as an American citizen and as a Christian. That's so great. I think that is one of the, um, the great joys of reading Dietrich is he's kind of, I mean, he's timeless. I mean, really yeah. you, you read it and, um, you think of the things that he was writing about and who he was writing to and the, the situations he was de dealing with. And they're not remotely like ours really. Um, but, but I can still read it and think, I can think about his context and think what that meant for him, but I can, it can also really, really be um, convicting and guiding and um, yeah, kind of spiritually renewing as well. Um, Completely. Yes. Great. Yeah. I think one thing that is interesting, if I can tell you a little bit of the history of the house. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, what's interesting about it is, and this again goes back to the, the American lens. We, as Americans, it's easy for us. I don't wanna speak for everyone, but I'll say as an American, it was easy for me to think about World War II in very um, black and white ways. Like we are the good guys and the Nazis were the bad guys. And, um, and in some ways that's not wrong, um, but, what we tend to not narrate is what happens after the war. Um, what happened after the war in Germany? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I found most surprising, and I think a lot of visitors do too, is that very few people talked about what had happened during the Nazi era and during the Holocaust. And, um, people tried to get on with just returning to normal life as best they could after all of this just horrendous evil had, you know, just reduced or certainly reduced Berlin to rubble. Um, but also that had, they had, the Nazis had effectively decimated Jewish life here in the city as well. And the Bonhoeffer family, I think really typifies it. One is that, um, the, the kind of like, it's in, insane what happened after the war. So within the Bonhoeffer family, Dietrich was put to death. <clears throat> his brother Klaus was as well. His his brother-in-law, um, Hans von Danani and Rudiger Schleicher were all four men within this one family were put to death by the Nazis. Hmm. Um, and it's not proper to say that they were executed because that actually gives the Nazis legitimacy, legal legitimacy. You could say that they were murdered. Um, I tend to reserve that word for Holocaust victims, so I tend to say that they were put to death. Um, and so, all of the none of these men, though, were given. There were very few people that looked at them with regard. 
Um, they were really kind of ambiguous traitors um, in the minds of many Germans. And it really took almost an entire generation before people started talking about what had happened. And part of what brought that to bear was um, the viewing of a uh, television series, I think Meryl Streep um, actually starred in it. It was like called The Holocaust. And there, and it was it was um, broadcast in West Germany, I think in 1977 or 1978. And families watched it. It was it was widely watched, and a lot of children who saw that turned to ask their parents, "What what did you do? What happened?" And that is really when you start to see the beginning of a public reckoning of what had happened in that era. It wasn't until like the late seventies and early eighties. Otherwise it had basically been treated with silence. So the Bonhoeffer house was inaugurated in 1987, which was the 750th anniversary of the city of Berlin's founding. And it was the vision of Eberhard Bethke, who was Dietrich's best friend and um, very close companion through his, through his days as much as he could be. Um, he had a vision for what the Bonhoeffer house could be and got it set up. And he gave a, a very moving address when the house was inaugurated and he identified it because that, that building, the Bonhoeffer house is being in, you know, consecrated as this place of memorial encounter at the same time in the same year as another very well-known museum here in Berlin called the topography of terror. And it was actually set up at the same place where the, it was basically the, the Reich's headquarters, the, like the Reich security headquarters where the SS had their main prison, Dietrich was held there for a time. Um, and Eberhard said that place where that museum is now um, represents strong centers of power. And this place, this Bonhoeffer house represents weak centers of power. And none of the weak centers ever want to be tapped to do what they have to do. In some ways it's forced upon them. And, but these two centers are actually very, they're very important. They kind of witness to one another um, because the strong believe they are strong and they don't realize how strong the weak actually are in some ways. Like the weak actually bring about a great deal of strength. Um, they're kind of the favored position of God in some ways. And um, so that that alone, like the house really wasn't set up until 1987, which is just a shocking, it's just shocking to think like it took that long. But again, that typifies, I think, the German experience has been quite different than the way that we would narrate, narrate the post-war uh, from an American experience. Wow, that is so crazy. I remember hearing that, um, I read uh, Dr. Stephen Haynes' book, uh, The Battle for Bonhoeffer, and he kind of spoke about that, about um, the 60s and 70s of the Death of God movement, and that, and that that was really when Bonhoeffer's material started being engaged with. Before that, there was this big gap of decades where it was virtually silent. It was uh, Becca holding on to these books and getting them published and serving his friend and setting up the Bonhoeffer house. And I think we, uh, I, I definitely have it in my mind um, before I read that book that, you know, Bonhoeffer dies and then immediately venerated. Let's, let's release right. this. Yeah. yeah. And, and it really did take 
and I think that's the other thing is you being here and having to learn a story, you realize one, we're so we were so dependent on Eberhard Bethke to tell Bonhoeffer's story. I mean, Bonhoeffer was well known, but he really could have fallen kind of more into obscurity mm -hmm. if there hadn't been this, you know, hard work of carrying on his vision and trying to get his name out and get his writings, you know, more widely known. And so we really do owe a great deal to Eberhard Bethke for that reason. Definitely. And yeah. I'm still like, uh, I'm working through all of the volumes. Um, and then like, every time I, I have to like remind myself, <laughs> like, how close this was, like, especially I'm reading ethics right now. It's like, yeah. this is all scraps of paper that were brought together to, to form a book. It was not even finished. And it's completely, still, it's still so good. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, yeah, I, I, that's really what I wanted to ask you about um, your, your time at the at the Bonhoeffer House. I guess, I guess, uh, kind of a, a closing question for you would be: yeah. um, Bonhoeffer yeah. lives in Germany. He comes to the states and has a kind of a transformational experience. He goes back to Germany and takes the things that he's learned with them. Uh, obviously, different times, so not direct one to one comparison, but. Um, you, you've moved over there and lived there for a couple of years and kind of, uh, writing a memoir on how, uh, your, your life's been changed through, uh, through your time at the Bonhoeffer house and, and living in Germany. What, what sort of things will you take back to America when you, when you move back soon? That's a really thoughtful question. Um, I think for me, it really did deepen, um, my sense of how much Bonhoeffer cherished relationship having lived here. And it's been a very, obviously it's been a very fruitful place for me to live, to learn more about him. Um, and I think leaving here, um, I will certainly carry Bonhoeffer's thoughts with me <laughs> and these precious memories. And I think it's also been, um, it's been a good exercise for me to kind of learn about someone locally and to really sink my teeth into them a bit. And I don't know if I'll find someone quite like Dietrich Bonhoeffer at our next assignment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think you pairing it that way, like that he went to, to the US and came back and I've come here and I'm gonna go somewhere else. I think it just really shows the way God works. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, those of us who identify as, as Christians who belong to the church, um, the body of Christ, we really need one another and we need nourishment. Like Bonhoeffer really needed the nourishment that he got at the Abyssinian Baptist church. He really needed songs. He needed hope. He needed all of those things. And the people who were working in um, in the confessing church and in the resistance here, they needed those, those resources. They needed to learn from other believers. And um, I think I from, because we've lived cross-culturally so many times, I think that's something I've already known and experienced. And it's just reconfirmed that that is still true. We still need one another. Like mm -hmm. we don't know so many different people live so, you know, so many different places. And it's so important for us to keep reaching out, even when things feel tricky. And I think 
that's actually what I see in Bonhoeffer is he he was tapped for his role in the conspiracy because he was so gifted in friendship and so gifted in reaching out to people, especially across boundaries. So he had already cultivated relationships with people in England and was quite gifted in engaging with people in the ecumenical movement. And his brother-in-law, Hans von Danani, saw that and thought, hey, this could actually work for us. Um, this actually, his ability to make friends might actually be something that we could put to use as part of our larger conspiracy. And it wasn't only his, he was a heroic figure, obviously, and quite courageous, but he was also a friend. He was someone who maintained relationships. And um, I don't think we think of that as being all that powerful, but I think it is. Oh, totally, yeah. Uh, yeah. Him, like, reading letters and papers, He's just yeah. in prison, and all he's doing is just writing letters and papers to to the people exactly. that he's uh, lived among and and been transformed by. Exactly. Uh, I think that's such a great lesson. I'm looking forward to most as, as I continue to study Dietrich. How much? Because I, I everyone tells me, and I'm, I'm still researching, but learning how he was changed in his time in America. Um, I, I see that there's this. Um, the world opens up quite a bit. Yes. For him, he, he sees these uh, these African-Americans who are being oppressed and, and enjoy going to church with them and then enjoying himself immensely in that process. And um, yeah. yes. Yeah. He saw things there that that really did change him for. Yeah. For the long haul. Mm hmm. Yes. And um, which is I mean, what a what an amazing um what an amazing legacy, even on from the American standpoint of what actually what nourished him was the thing, the groups of people that nourished him most were the exact exactly the people that the Nazis were trying to stamp out here, <laughs> right? Like, it's it's just the it's just uncanny that mm -hmm. kind of connection. Yeah, yeah, and then that's the connection to to weakness and power again. Completely, um, yes, yeah, completely. There. Yeah. Well, I do hope you get a chance to visit the Bonhoeffer House. I'm sorry I won't be there to give you a tour, but there are plenty of other volunteer guides and they're all completely capable of introducing Dietrich Bonhoeffer to you and engaging your questions. And I awesome. hope I hope many people get a chance to visit. It's a really special place. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so as well. I, I can't wait. I'm sure I'm sure I will be over there um, Good. probably fairly soon. We'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. Um, so. How we usually end every episode is a little game of Desert Island. Okay. Um, so you get uh, one book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and one book <laughs> about him. Uh, so it could be about his life, his theology. It's basically just a way to get book recommendations for, for listeners. Um, right on. What are you going with? Okay, if I were, the book that I would want to have with me that he wrote, I think it would be Ethics. Um, and then the book about him, hmm, I would probably say Strange Glory by Charles Marsh. Um, but Oh, close that second would be Ferdinand um, Schlingensiepen's um, biography. I'm sorry, I'm not good at this one. Oh, no, <laughs> I would want to have yeah. different ones. <laughs> I, I interviewed uh, 
Michael, Dr. Michael DeYoung last episode, and he was like, I'm going to give you three, and okay. I'm breaking your rules. So, <laughs> the, the more if you have more than one book, we're glad to take them. Yeah. Um, I think those are the exact ones that uh, we had Dr. Steve Besner, and he's actually how I got in contact with you. He was like, Exactly. Yeah. Reach yeah. out. She's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he, we had actually had some dialogue on Twitter. He had sent me a note when he saw my, Christianity Today review of um, Stephen Haynes's book, and um, yeah, it's great. It was it, he's he's a very very nice man. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He was yeah. great. He, he was the first episode, so I just kind of sent him a message like, "Would you be willing?" And that's great. Yeah, definitely. So, Excellent. Yeah, that's great. he's great to learn from, and great. yeah, and it's cool seeing this sort of this um, community of Bonhoeffer. And yeah. scholars, researchers, people who are interested in this, and kind of the the wide array of people and interests. Um, yes. You know, even when I was forming this podcast, I was thinking, is this going to be like three episodes long? You know, I'm going to run into <laughs> three people talking about theology, and like, okay, well, they're saying the same thing. But then, the more I get into it, I'm like, well, there are people who are interested in yeah. the practical applications, the historical side, yeah. the theology. You know, there's just Bonhoeffer yeah. is so uh, complex but also so faithful that it kind of drives us to, to want to learn Completely. more. And I think that's the thing that when you, when you visit the house, as, as I did as a visitor many times, I always kind of got a different taste of him from whoever was guiding because people have different interests. So I tend to focus on sort of the civic Bonhoeffer and I'm very interested in his, you know, his relationships and, but other volunteer guides will focus on other aspects of his life. And it's often driven by our own questions. And um, so I, I felt like I was always seeing him from a new angle. And I think that's just, it's, it's very typical of who we are as people, like, right? We're, we can't just be collapsed. Um, mm -hmm. We're all, you know, you're a father, you're a Bonhoeffer, you're a budding Bonhoeffer scholar. There's a lot going on in your own life. And um, I think it is good. I think we honor Dietrich most by allowing him to be that human being and um, and and then seeing how we are like that as well, that we have we have great capacity, great potentiality, and we might as well live as deeply as he did. Wow, well said. <laughs> um, all right, well, is there any way, uh, if anyone wants to reach out to you for, let's say, visit the Bonhoeffer house or just to contact you further about Bonhoeffer or, or get yeah. to know you? Um, I would just Google the Bonhoeffer house and you'll see there's there's German instructions, but then there's also an English um, kind of mirror website and you can find contact information there to email the house and request a visit. Um, you can always reach me. I am LM Fabricy on Twitter. Um, I am on Facebook um, as well. I think it's Laura Fabricy there. It might be Laura M. Fabricy. I can't really recall, but <laughs> um, but I won't be here much longer. So if you if people are interested in coming to the Bonhoeffer House, which they should do, because I am probably the least experienced guide there, um, uh, they should definitely contact them and and come for a visit. Awesome. Well, I will also put that stuff in kind of the show notes. So if anyone is looking for uh, those links, uh, just just check the notes and it'll be awesome. In there. Perfect. Cool. Awesome. Good. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed this and it's been great to get to know you. Me too, Corey. Thanks. Yeah. And do please keep in touch. Yeah, for sure. Okay, good. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bonhoeffer Podcast. And thank you to Laura Fabricy for coming on. Be on the lookout for her memoir entitled The Keys to Bonhoeffer's House, which is due out next spring. 
you are interested in knowing more about the Bonhoeffer House or have questions for Laura, feel free to reach out to her at LMFabrici on Twitter. We should be back in June with another great episode. Really excited for our next guest as well. I'll give you some more information about that later. Until then, as always, thank you for listening.